Hello, and welcome to the Cinemondo Podcast with Kathy, Mark, and Burke talking about movies. Horror, sci-fi, unusual, unknown, forgotten, underappreciated, sometimes appreciated, not a, always underappreciated. Maybe appreciated to a fault. Yeah. <laughs> Overly appreciated. <laughs> yes, excessively appreciated <laughs> by rabid fans, <laughs> like cult, like a cult. Cults. Cult films. Yeah. I can't wait to see Midsummer. I know. That's going to be a good one. Speaking of cults. <laughs> yep. Because he directed that Annabelle film, right? Ugh. That you love so Annabelle, much? Annabelle 2 Creation. Mm. Annabelle Back to the Toy Store. <laughs> Annabelle 4. Annabelle in the Garbage Can. Annabelle. A- Annabelle Lecter. Annabelle. Is- <laughs> you can tell I love these movies. No. You look at the poster and it's, you know, her, the doll and back, you know, sleeping with the girl. And it's supposed to be scary. Right. And it just looks like a doll sleeping with a girl. I was on Slack having a conversation with people. They brought up The Conjuring, which, Mm -hmm. you know, don't even around me. Yeah, you get The Conjuring. And I had someone ask me, why don't you like The Conjuring? Why do you not like the Annabelle movies? I mean, I'm just like, why do you like them? (laughs) I mean, I'm like, dolls are not scary. Let's just start with that concept. And besides the fact that Conjuring didn't even know what the hell it was, first it's a ghost story, then it's a haunted doll story, and then it's possession. Like, what the fuck was that movie? Right. (laughs) Ah. But we have to clarify that that Midsummer is not directed by the same director as the Annabelle films. No, Midsummer was. Mark was baiting me. Yeah. Midsummer is uh, Ari Aster, who did Uh. Hereditary, which we have a podcast that if you haven't yeah. listened to it, please yeah. do and see the movie because it is a, cl- a modern horror classic. And in, in our book. best of 2018 episode, we all made it number one. Yeah. I think we did. Yeah. I think we did because it really was genuinely like horror movies don't really affect me really. I mean, they just kind of wash over me, but that one like, whoa, hung with me. I still think about it. And I think this one is interesting, the new one, because it's a totally different thing. That one's dark. It looked dark. It was dark. dark. This is like bright, you know, in summer solstice time in Sweden. So it's interesting. You went a totally different way, at least for the tableau. Still kind of culty, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I keep hearing things that it does kind of go into those same areas. Like in Hereditary, there was that whole grief thing, that just nightmare of, Mm -hmm. of family grief. and. And this one, I think, goes into the grief in, uh, right. involved in a breakup, and you know, yeah. which you know sounds a little trivial compared to the loss of a family member, but it really does sometimes feel like the loss of a family member. I guess if he's... I think the breakup though is is the impetus is the fact that someone loses someone like a father yes. or mother, and so then that's causing a strain on the relationship. Or a so whole it's still family. like you know. Like, yeah, anyway. Heavy. But He's yeah. a barrel laughs, this Arias. <laughs> we'll talk about it once we've all seen it. And, it, yes. and you know, then, you know, yes. the folks who, who uh, distribute it could send us a screener. Oh, I have news. Yeah. I um, am a member of the Television Academy now. So cool. I get to vote on the Emmys. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Congratulations. So it's kind of cool to just have a say, you know, and when you, you know, you see all these very you know, high quality shows that deserve recognition and sometimes they don't get it. So I'm going to be one of those voices. Cool. And I know that you will vote accordingly. I will. Haunting of Hill House for the win. Or whoever yeah. pays you the most, whoever gives you the biggest pay. pay. <laughs> I wish you got paid, but you don't. Or gives oh, you the screeners. You do not. Yeah. I know. I wish I had screeners. All this stuff. It's funny how much of it I had actually seen. Yeah. More than movies. Right. <laughs> like I was sitting there thinking about the Academy Awards. I hadn't seen any of it, but I look at the Emmy Awards. Yeah. I pretty much seen it all. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, that's how it is now. It's like, so like, oh, I'm really rooting for what we do in the shadows. I think it's just such a great show. Well, you all need to watch Yeah, no, it. I've seen, I've you seen know, many episodes and I saw the movie. I think it's very funny. We should, we should point. cover it. I'll have to check that out. Check it out. I've, I've, I've started, I've started on it. Do it. Do it. It needs to win me over. Yes. <laughs> but that's all current stuff. Yeah. We're going to talk older. Some classics that, you know, people don't really talk about that much, but that are very, uh, very cult favorites. Which one do you want to start with? Well, we were, we were thinking about, we always try to do movies that are kind of related somehow. And these two movies are related in a really interesting way, I think. And we'll talk about it. But they're movies that we, that when they came out, when these movies came out, they were big. They were like the buzz. They were the cool movies. And um, yeah, I remember when we're, we're going to talk about... Um, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> After Hours, which, you know, I don't remember that being a big buzz. 
Movie. But it was Martin Scorsese. It was Scorsese, it was... but it wasn't like Goodfellas buzz. It was like, well, this like was what's bef- this little weird U-turn for Scorsese? This was before he was as big a deal. I mean, so, he... it was basically like, oh, the new movie by the guy that did Taxi Driver. Yeah. You know? Or, uh, or uh, Raging Bull. And it came right. out in 85, I think. Yeah, 85. Yeah. And I remember the review said, this is Scorsese in a minor vein. Right. right. Which and is a interesting. A comedy. Which you don't expect him to do a comedy. Right. Um. But uh, I saw it opening day because yep. it was just what you did back then. Oh, yeah. You go early and see a movie. You had to see it in the theater. You weren't going to see it. Yeah. Well, I was all, you know, like a lot of movie fans really into Martin Scorsese, of course. He was like, everybody knew that this guy is going places and you're going to go see every movie he makes regardless, you know, <laughs> even if it's right. not a gangster movie or a, or a depressing Paul Schrader, you know, yeah. descent into nightmares. But this one is a descent into nightmares. In a, in a, it's literally like a nightmare. It really is, yeah. Like where you can't read things or you can't get through the police or like all these weird things in dreams where you try and call and you can't quite get through or mm-hmm. and just well, weird it takes connections. Place, it takes place in that time in human history before cell phones. Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess kind of before ATM machines, you know, you kind of he's he it's about a guy in New York who who takes a cab and he's got a $20 bill and his $20 bill flies out the window when this crazy cab driver takes a turn. And he's like, oh, I just I'm so sorry I lost my $20. And the guy just zooms away from him. So he's so um, he's the, stuck downtown in the in a sketchy back when New York was sketchy. Yeah. And he has to get back. He just wants to go get home. Yeah, and yeah. so the whole thing is about him just trying to go a few blocks. It's like it's like trying to get home back to Kansas. It's you know, right. Even, much, you, know. you know, it's funny when it started, even just the opening scene, I felt like it was already hitting me in a more profound way than it did originally. Like he's sitting in this super generic looking office with right. these really old computers, like DOS, black right. screen, green yeah. type. He's sitting there with Bronson Pinchot, which yeah. I think yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. So He's sitting there and he's trying to train somebody how to use this computer and I guess how to do his job. And he's a word processor. Word pro- That's what they call like, him. Oh. He's like, I'm a word processor. <laughs> so the guy starts going, oh, this is just temporary. I don't really want to do this. What I really want to do is I'm going to do a magazine with artists and yeah. and writers and, and elite. And you're just thinking, and you see um, Griffin Dunn, who's, yeah. you know the lead and he he sort of starts zoning out and he starts having like this moment of clarity where he starts looking around the office and it's so mundane and it's so yeah. like just on the the you know the the hamster wheels you know just rat race shit and he's just looking going this is my life like we got this guy who it's his only thing this is my only thing like his he's yeah. like a dead end then when he leaves the office, it looks like a jail. Like as he's yeah, gates. Yes, gates. Yeah. And he's walking out of the gates and he's free. So what does he do? He goes to his apartment. Everything is beige. He's wearing a beige suit. He's got a beige, you know, paint on the walls. He's got a beige couch. Like I loved how everything was super bland. Yeah. The entire opening scene is about blandness. And it's so he wants of... a little excitement. Like you I feel like he was getting a moment of clarity of like, my life is boring. I need to break out of this. Ugh. So he just goes out to read a book in a, in a diner. Right. And that's where it all starts. And it's a bit of a fight club vibe yeah. in a way. Yeah. In, like, in wake that, up. Yeah. yeah. You consumer, you, you word processor. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he goes. And the funny thing is the adventure that he takes is the adventure of going into the sort of sketchy lofts and artists. repurposed industrial space of the the crazy artist. And it depicts that scene in New York, that sort of early 80s kind of punk rock art, performance art, um, artist vibe who lives in, who live in lofts and have... That are the, huge. Yeah, gigantic lofts back when such things existed. <laughs> and it's depicted in, in a almost like a threatening way. Yeah. There's nobody oh, in this film who is a friend. Well, it starts so cute because while he's in the diner, Roseanne Arquette in her most cutest yeah. ever, yes. yeah. and she's beautiful, and she repeats to him a quote from this book he's reading, and you could just see sparks. Like, yeah. She's yeah. so wonderful. Yeah. And what I loved about it is like this perfect moment like where you meet someone, you go, we have so much in common. And then later you find out how wrong everything is. Right. Like 
I love how in this movie, everything he did got a completely wrong reaction yeah. Yeah. to everything yeah. he said, <laughs> right. everything he did. Like, whether it was like, yeah, friends can be hard sometimes. What do you mean? What do you mean friends are hard sometimes? Like, you get this weird, yeah. hostile. So, or like that scene, I mean, I'm cutting ahead, but I yeah. love the scene with Terry Gar where he goes, <laughs> oh, yeah. what's your phone number? 624-317. Yeah. That's not enough numbers, but who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't really want her number because yeah. she's also another psycho that he's encountering. <laughs> she's uh, great in it, too, Terry yeah. Gar. So, First of all, the cast. Not only is it, it's a bunch of comedians, like yes. a ton of comedians, um, which you also aren't used to seeing Scorsese do, right? You know, and so you, you know you have Terry Gar, you have Catherine O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara, anything like, she touches is gold. So good. <laughs> of but, course, Cheech and Chong. Yeah, Cheech and Chong. Chong. Cheech and yeah. Chong. Like how in odd, a Scorsese right? film? Yeah. That's a that's a great trivia question. <laughs> but Linda Fiorentino, who plays mm. the uh, the artist, the artist, you know. She's just always really like she has an so edge edgy. to her. Like so good. I, like when I was watching, it's like she's I'm intimidated by her. Yeah. You know, yeah. totally intimidated. Intimidated, but then attracted. Like she's so cool. <laughs> but it does have that kind of edgy depiction of artists because I, you know, I, I the '80s were kind of like my my thing, you know, a bit, and kind of new artists in the '80s who lived in lofts and that type of thing, and some of them were weirdos, yeah, but. This movie kind of depicts that world in a in a way that makes it seem like the way people probably imagine it is. Right. Like not. I mean, if you in reality, if the guy got stuck down there, he could tell somebody and say, "Look, here's what happened. I lost twenty bucks," and somebody would go, "Oh, dude, I can get you a a taxi," or I know, you know, here, take the subway. You know, like it's a classic New York. If you know, I've lived in New York for years, and the uptown people. A little afraid of downtown. Yeah. <laughs> and downtown people don't go uptown. It's just different well, worlds. West side people are a little afraid of east side of yeah. LA. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's the same sort of thing. So it's almost the, the nightmare of the uptown or midtown, you know, guy, average, you know, working Joe going into this world, you know, a completely different world. And well, they like could too, see like, from how he was dressed and how he yes. acted. Yeah. They could see he's that he was super wasn't. corporate, yeah. not creative yeah. at all. Like he's sort of that like artists are these strange creatures so when he goes down to this you know he's a just like fish he, out of water because he wants to meet this girl and buy this paperweight oh, this right. cream cheese paperweight cream cheese paperweight <laughs> a bagel cream. <laughs> so, i mean i love where they're just they they go they're in the loft and there's all this whispering like the phone rings the girl's not there so linda fiorentino who's the roommate answers the phone and Roseanne Arquette is apparently on the phone, and she's like, "I'm not going to tell him. You tell him. You t- it's your problem." And then you, yeah. you, he can overhear all of this, and so you're already you're like, "Oh shit, what is mm-hmm. what's going on?" That There's horrible something. sinking feeling of like she didn't really want me to come, and here I am like an idiot, you know? Right. And, and weirdness she- <laughs> lurking under the surface, like he suspects there's something wrong with right. her, and. There's yeah. these clues she's and hints. She's at the pharmacy that, getting God knows what. He's like, she's uh, like she's got some kind of burns or something. Yeah, you see the stuff, glowy yeah. things in the skin. And you're like, oh my God! I remember watching this in the theater the first time, going, what? "Oh God, this is gonna get worse." You know? Yeah, and I love what they're in. They go back to her bedroom, and he's you know kind of trying to get to know her, and they're relaxing there, and she's like, "Yeah, I was raped here once." Yeah. Like what kind of? <laughs> and he yeah. kind of goes. Uh, Horrible! What? And then something comes up about oh my husband and like, he's like oh your husband. You know, it's you put yourself in the shoes. At least so I did of this guy because yeah. I had that kind of job back then. You know, right. so it's all like I just want to go home yeah. right now. That's all he you wants know? to do. You can see him kind of going, "How do I back out of this?" And there's that whole I think because it was so relatable where you get into a situation where you're in over your head. And what made this movie so good is he he knows this. He wants to get out, and he just can't. Like, all these circumstances keep happening where he just can't get out. Yeah. Whether it's losing his money or, you know, not being able to get out of the building because someone's chasing him or trying, you know, just all this, like... Ugh. Or trying to use the phone. One of the funniest yeah. things in it <laughs> was with Catherine O'Hara where he finally gets a telephone, you know, and he wants to call. I think he's calling a friend of his to come pick him up or something. And he has to get the guy's number, so he calls, you know, the he calls the uh, operator and said, "I need the phone number for this." And he goes, "Okay, okay, two four one four four two one," and so he starts dialing it, and she's sitting next to him, and she's like, nine eight four one <laughs> he's laughing, nine. laughing, and he's like, "Oh, 
And she's just laughing. Yeah. And and everybody starts off seeming so nice and normal. So he's like, oh, finally a normal person. And they always turn up being a weirdo. Yeah. Every time. I mean, everything, you know, like at, at the stroke of midnight, the uh, fare for the subway goes up by <laughs> right. ten, 10 cents or something. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have enough. So. Yeah, just enough. But now all of a sudden, five minutes ago, you can't afford the subway anymore. <laughs> so... And, and, and then, then he just jumps over the turnstile, and of course, there's a cop right there. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad, but it does feel like like one of those nightmares you have where you can't seem to leave or get somewhere. Or those those actual experiences that you yeah. had when you were young, and you know, kind of learning how to deal with the real world. And you go out there, and you kind of get in over your head with certain people that you you kind of realize as the night goes on. It's like I don't want to be with these people. Yeah. I don't want to be in this situation. Mm-hmm. But you're in a car with them. It kind of reminds me of that feeling in in Blue Velvet, where you know Jeffrey is in the car with uh, Dennis Hopper. <laughs> yeah, and they're going. And he they're. It's like Dennis Hopper's party, you know. You're in his world now, and he's singing, and you're you're just getting deeper and deeper and further and further away from home, and things are getting really scary because this movie kind of is a comedy, you know. After Hours is a comedy, but then there's a couple of dark things. I guess can we go spoilers on a on a 300 year old movie? Yeah, I think so. Well, it definitely. I like the Blue Velvet uh, con- connection because it has that feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. You know, funny with Blue Velvet has re- can be really, really dark, yeah. but it's a David Lynch. Right. But also dark. funny in that weird David Lynch way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Heineken, yeah. fuck that shit, Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> yeah. And that made me laugh, you know. And he's so suave. <laughs> like, Ben is so suave. <laughs> and then he starts singing in dreams with the light. You know, it's... it. There's... Things about it that you can that you can find a weird kind of humor in. And then after hours, there's a point in the film where one of the main characters dies, like kills herself. I guess we can say it's Rosanna Arquette turns mm-hmm. up dead, you know, and he is like, oh, what the hell? You know, yeah. now things have gotten things have gone south, you know, yeah. and it becomes a darker film at that point. Right. And it's a it. It's kind of interesting. I wonder if Scorsese made that film today, if he would still have that happen in it. You know what I mean? Hard to hard to say, but I'm glad he made that choice. I mean, yeah. I, I, I this movie, you know, it was a it was a fine wine to me. It still worked. You know? Yeah, it still was like, oh, this still works. I mean, it's definitely dated as far as what New York City is like. Mm-hmm. But it's it's uh, kind of in a cool nostalgic way. Yeah, like, I kind of yeah. miss that New York in a way. Yeah, of course. It's not Disney. It wasn't Disneyfied back there. But it's like, yeah. but I really the same feeling of like I just want to go home. And he just yeah. keeps worrying. You know, the guy can't open the bartender can't open up the cash register. Right. You know, just everything that goes wrong. And it's really a, it's tr- a true nightmare. Yeah. And what's oh. kind of funny too is that you could almost watch this movie and it's not funny. Yeah. Like I thought it was funny and Griffin Dunn is. I loved him in an American Werewolf. Yeah. I love him in this. Like yeah. he's he's just a really fun, relatable actor. He's yeah. one of those that you just yeah. like automatically. He's right. a classic everyman kind of guy. You just you're like I I've been that I've been him. You know, mm-hmm. his sort of in- cryptic, <laughs> not in cryptic. His kind of weird reactions to all the people's weird cryptic behavior. Like when he finally has enough with all of the strange behavior from Marcy, he's like, I just want my goddamn paperweight. That's all yeah. I came here yeah. for. <laughs> well, okay, not all I came here for, but that's what I want. So I love that, that that he finally just has enough, but he still can't get out of it. He's still tangled, which is so fun. Yeah, and it starts raining, and at one point he starts walking away, and the, one of the characters says, where are you going? He goes, I'm walking home. <laughs> <laughs> at that point, I feel like I would just walk home. Yeah, yeah sure, like, sure. There's no transportation that's worth any of this. No. Yeah, in the rain, in the pouring rain, I'm just going to walk home. <laughs> like, he goes into the punk club, and it's, you know, Mohawk this guy. And I was oh, yeah. just like, oh, my God, you know, just. So strange. Yeah. And then there's that really tender moment when he goes back to the club, like there's so much going on in the movie. Oh, yeah. Like he gets a private invite to an art show there, the yeah. same club. <laughs> he goes back and it's completely empty. Yeah. There's one woman sitting in the corner and just like, Oh my God, what's this going to be? And she's really sweet and seems really nice. And they're playing that song. What is it? Um, what, did, what I lost in a fire or, um, Oh, is, um, is that all there is? Is that all there is? Yeah. So they're playing the that really song weird and... song. And he just, he just, he, he asked the woman to dance with him. And there's a really sweet, calm yeah. moment. Don't get used to it. I know. <laughs> well, she tries to hide him. She, she Which she's still being nice. But she but... turns out to be a sculptress like yeah. the other woman, but does the exact same 
kind of yeah. sculptures, which is really weird to paper me. I always mache. thought that was weird. She does paper mache people in these kind of anguished poses. But yeah. that again made me think, is this just a nightmare he's yeah. having? Because right. you know in your nightmare where sometimes you'll repeat scenes that you're in, but they change a little bit mm-hmm. and maybe they amplify or, or maybe she was the same character, the same but person. she looked different. Yeah. It's like, oh, and then so she lovely. literally, to hide him, she literally puts him inside one of the sculptures <laughs> and turns him into one of the sculptures. Which makes sense. And it's also yeah. the anguished man. Like, you know, he yes. called it the shriek, and they make a big point right. calling it the scream. And, yeah. It's and like this like... <laughs> pose where his hands are on his head, like he's screaming, and he's trapped inside this thing, and he can't move, and he can't. And she puts a thing over his mouth so he can't even talk. All he can do is see through these empty eye holes. Well, it's and, kind of amazing because this movie was made for $3.5 million. Uh, $3.5 million budget. That's insane. Back in those dollars, yeah. Uh, and apparently, I guess Scorsese was in the middle of um, doing production on Last Temptation of Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. So, But it wasn't going well, so there was a lot of snafus. So he just wanted to do something that wasn't depressing. Like yeah. He just wanted to do... <laughs> so he didn't even write this, which is also kind of unusual. Like It was uh, written... I forget who it was written by, but... He didn't write it. He was just, you know, he, he liked the script. It was originally called Lies, I think, or something yeah. like that. And apparently um, there was a big suit about uh, plagiarism with it, too, because there was a radio show where a guy um, did a monologue on, on his late night radio show called After Hours. And he was talking yeah. about how he got trapped downtown and did this thing. And the screenwriter was actually in, I think... If I got this right, the screenwriter was in a screenwriting class and decided to write a screenplay based on the monologue he heard on the radio. And that's that ended up getting picked up. So I think when it got produced, it it sort of became an issue, <laughs> the source source material. Can that be a plagiarized? I mean, if that person didn't write it and he was just talking about it, can he, you not base he, something on something like that? I mean, I don't he was know. talking about an experience that he had, and I think. But if you, you know, ta- you, if you're inspired by that and write something similar, of course it's not the same. But I think it was I it was it was uh, similar enough to where it was like a clear lift. Oh, but, so it was as they did yeah. sue and win. Yeah, oh. I think so. I think I, this is a long time ago since I've thought about Joseph it. Joseph Minion. Yeah, is the, the uh, you know credited along with Scorsese, oh. he's uncredited. Yeah. It's part of the script, okay. so. But, but it just goes crazy and crazier, Cheech. And, you know, it, 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 I just love also, you know, not skip to the ending, but I will. I love the ending. Yeah. Yes, the, the ending is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it just, right. It just, it, to me, when I was watching, I'm like, this is like a perfect movie. Yeah. yeah. It has a perfect tone. It's a little bit of scare, a lot, you know, a little bit of sarcasm and snarkiness and a little bit of humor. It does a perfect full circle. So many things connecting and making sense in that movie. And then they have that great full circle ending. It's yeah. a little stressful to watch it, though. It it's is. one of those, when I was watching it recently, I remember when I watched it originally, it was like, you know, it was a roller coaster ride. But when I watched it a couple of days ago um, to prep for this episode, I thought it was a bit of a slog in a way. It was almost like parts of it, I just wanted that part to be over. You know, I was I was kind of like, oh, this is a, this is just a nightmare. Well, it's like, I think it's part of like it's an episodic film yeah. you know, because you have these bits where, okay, you have the Rosanna Arquette part. Then you have the Linda Fiorentino part. Then you have the John Hurd and the bartender part. Right. Then you have the Terry Gar. You know, it just kind of goes on. Then you have, you know, the, the Mr. Softy bit. Right. You know, that. So it's just sort of like it's, it's, it's episodic, much like the second movie we're going to talk about. Yeah. I think, you know. Oh, this is kind of interesting. I just noticed. So Joe Minion originally wrote the script. Yeah. Um, he was 26-year-old student. At Columbia University, he got an A. This was a project for the class. Yeah, here's a guy who does writes a script for a project, and fucking Scorsese directs it. Yeah, God. So he had no. He probably had no idea that it would ever be produced. So it was kind of okay to. Yeah, he was just doing. Yeah, he was just doing a college. You know, I'll just just do this script that nobody's ever going to read, other than my. But see, you should always approach. I feel like a script that way of writing what you want to write, not worrying about who's going to see it or who's going to produce it or how much it's going to cost. Like that, that purity, I think, is what makes that movie work so well. But Mm -hmm. you should also try not to plagiarize someone else, so that in case it. uh, Well, we don't know. I don't know the specifics, but so that you know, if something does ever happen with your script, you'll be covered. That's true. But I don't think he's done any... Has that writer done anything else? I don't I mean, know. I think he's done a few other little things. Oh, know, he did uh, the... Vampire's Kiss? Yeah, Vampire's Kiss. Oh, that was another great... Good. Very similar in tone, like that weird New York kind of underbelly. Mm-hmm. And Nicolas Cage, can you imagine, it would have been probably just oh. pretty interesting in After Hours. I always like to imagine any movie with Nicolas Cage yeah. in it, just to see how <laughs> interesting that would be. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, Nicholas Cage. Cage. That'd be so good. Jesus, yeah. 
Or the right, right stuff. He's John Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. The Wandering Earth. It can be in that. Yeah. So much better. I think what he, if he played I think every he is character in, in The Wandering Earth? Every character. But, um... So overall, you thought it was a bit of a slog. So did you think it was better or worse than when you saw it, Burke? I think when I first saw it, it probably stressed me out more, you mm. know. But I, there's certain movies... I mean, of course, a lot of Martin Scorsese movies stress you out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going there to be entertained in a, in a nice, happy way at the end of Taxi Driver. But the thing is, with his other films, he tends to have really good endings, you know. Yeah. It, it's not like you walk out of the theater feeling like... That was stressful, and I didn't get anything, you know. At the end of After Hours, you feel like this is a, a stressful nightmare, but at the end of it, he he comes full circle, but and you feel like, oh, he's safe now. But the funny thing about it is he's safe in his shitty job, <laughs> and <laughs> I love sitting him in sitting, front of his computer. You in know? a way, I feel like he's changed forever because he's yeah. sitting in this room with All this dusty. weird smile, and he's covered with, like, you know, yeah, the plaster. plaster. And it's like you think, okay, and the camera's spinning. Well, yeah. that, that was so great, that steady cam of yeah. just going around the room. Yeah. It's like this is kind of his wor- world. This yeah. is where he kind of belongs. Yeah. And it's you funny, know? too, because it was everyone was just getting to work, so everything was really bright, and people were walking there with their coffee and walking with purpose, and all yeah. of a sudden everything seemed kind of lit up and alive. Yeah. Whereas in the opening, everything seemed kind of dead. Yeah. Everything is very bland. Everyone's sitting in their office just looking at a computer, blah, blah, blah. You know? And he just seems haunted at and the end. And he's just like, by, my life like, is so boring. And now he's like, huh, boring is not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you feel like you had nights like that? Maybe not as Definitely cinematic, not but just those crazy nights. And the next day you're sitting at your job going, wow, I'm a long way from where I was last night. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah definitely. And speaking about that camera going around him, that's such a Scorsese thing. There were a couple of those things in this movie that I always just love about him. The, the whip pans, you know, it's like mm-hmm. it goes from one person to the other person. Right. And the interesting edits... Um, Thelma Schoonmaker, his his editor, is so good, you know, at at cutting things in this dynamic way. The film is dynamically shot. It's mm-hmm. it's very kinetic, and the camera is moving, and you feel like you're with him in the streets, running. and And there's that one great shot of um, uh, Arquette. What's her name? Roseanne. Roseanne Arquette. Yeah. I, I want to say Patricia. Like the but... Toto song. She was Marcy. <laughs> Right, she played Marcy. Yeah, yeah. but where, yeah, yeah. Mar- where he's in the bedroom and she's leaving the bedroom, she stands by the door and she gives him this little wink and like a thumbs up kind of thing. Yeah, and the camera just whips onto her and zooms. Yeah. It doesn't zoom in. It it's like somebody is Slams. like shoving the camera into yes. her face in this yeah. rough way. Very, very cool. The movie is full of really cool stylistic touches like that. It has a it has a really interesting soundtrack. Um, well, it's funny when you talk about the camera work too. I feel like the camera work. I feel like I was seeing it. It wasn't even just like for camera sake. I feel like I was seeing in his head how he was yeah. emotionally <laughs> feeling. Like he's latching on to that wink, that promise. You know, like yeah. he's just like it, it's like a drowning man. Like he's like, okay, I can still salvage this. I can still salvage. See, she's still into me. You know, I I love how the camera sort of instigated how he felt. And that's the way, the re, the way a really good filmmaker uses a camera mm-hmm. to punctuate those moments that have meaning and and that it's like. The moment that you're going to remember, right? Like the next day when he's at work and he thinks about his night, he's going to remember that wink that yep. she gave yeah. him. That's the thing, and that's that is the mark of a really good filmmaker where you know those moments a hum, that a human being is going to recall, and you put emphasis on those moments. Like all through the all through his night, that'll be the thing that he goes back to because yeah. he'll be haunted by her. Yeah. You know, for the rest of his life, he'll be haunted by that girl. And then we can wonder, was it my fault? Yeah. All this- yeah. But then again, maybe he won't. Maybe he'll be like, okay, chapter closed. On yeah. with my life. That would be me. Yeah. But that like, didn't oh, happen. Put that away. <laughs> it didn't yeah, happen. That didn't happen. <laughs> I do like how you really stay with Griffin Dunn the whole time. Yeah. Yes. Really like, and it seemed like, I feel like everything was set up for him to leave the scene. Like, it was always like, how do I get out of the scene? How do I get out of this room? How do I get out of this building? How do I get out of this neighborhood? Yeah. Yeah. How do I get out of the subway? Like, everything was an escape. Like, he was basically yeah. running out of every scene. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and he's such an underrated actor. I mean, like, yeah. you know, I don't see, so don't good. see him enough. You know, I know he probably. I think he got into producing and mm. some other yeah. stuff. But you know, those that and uh, Werewolf in London are just two really oh, solid. So you know, yeah, performances. He's yeah. just a natural guy. Yeah, yeah. natural, likable guy. Yeah, that's the thing about him. And maybe which is maybe why he didn't work more. I guess right. because he's so normal. 
but that normal works in a film like this where he's juxtaposed against the absolutely extremely abnormal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking but, of likable guys who works a lot, we can talk about our next movie. We can, yeah, but yeah. one thing I want to do a thread to attach oh, them. Okay. We, we had you know Griffin Dunn, which is the everyman. Yeah, right. but the thing about um, the t- the reason we pick these two movies, um, there's. Well, no, go ahead. You go ahead and, and introduce the next one. Oh, well, we're going to talk about like likable guys and like almost like Stephen King esque, where you have the normal Joe in a weird situation who's kind of pushed into that yeah, situation and how against his will. A completely like way in over their head kind of situation, like whether it's crime or whatever. So you have average Joe Griffin Dunn who just goes downtown to have a good time and gets all caught up in all this shit. And now our next movie, The Big Lebowski, has Jeff Bridges, who gets kind of thrown into this whole kidnapping plot. Which also involves an artist in a downtown That's loft right. who yeah. is into Super these fetishistic kind of stuff. That's right. But whereas After Hours is a very New York film, The Big Lebowski is a very L.A. film. Yeah. Yes. And her loft is in L.A. And you look out the window and you see the Los Angeles Theater sign out of her window. and. Mm-hmm. And uh, very quirky artists who are depicted in a sort of threatening way again. Mm-hmm. And um, in other words, the way a lot of people might think those downtown crazy artists might be in real life, like like scary, you know, because they're in these sc- these scary kind of scary buildings that aren't really houses. You're not supposed to live in these places, right? Or work in them. <laughs> they're supposed to be, you know, you know. And they're down. making weird art, and they have weird <laughs> explanations for their weird art, you know. But yeah, Big Lebowski is a cult movie. I know people who love that movie it's so much. So much. They have they have a festival, festivals all over the country yeah. where they sh- people come up and they of course they dress like the dude, right? <clears throat> and they they know all the lines to the movie. You know, it is it's Coen Brothers, so the Scorsese yeah. Coen Brothers, both fish out of water stories. Yeah. Yep. So that and and uh, but this is much more successful. You know, after its initial release. Yeah. And both of them interesting. I was trying to find all the parallels you know thinking about all the parallels and there's a bunch and it cut to where i was thinking i wonder if this is intentional i wonder if there was a little homage thing but both of them have a very sympathetic character who dies unexpectedly in kind of almost a way that they don't have to that's true for the story I did, you know that was my one complaint not necessarily of after hours but in in lebowski a completely unnecessary death i felt yeah like. even one did of not the... need that it was a huge bummer didn't need it but then Sam Shepard, is it Sam Shepard at the end? Yeah. He, even he says it. He says it as well. I didn't like that he died. Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, not yeah. Sam Shepard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're still kind of similar gruff yeah, guys. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah they both yeah. kind of talk like this. <laughs> but yeah, Big Lebowski, I mean, the basic story, if if you don't know, is a guy, just a dude, a guy that just... Classic L.A. Sm- slacker. The dude, yeah. Smokes a lot of weed, goes Bowls. and plays, you know, goes bowling, bowling with his incredibly <laughs> annoying friend, John Goodman. That's the thing that struck me about this movie was how much I hated John Goodman. I loved it. him in oh. it. Well, I, his character is perfectly portrayed. I mean, John we Goodman all know is people brilliant. Like that. But yeah. the guy, if yes, if I character. knew that man in oh. real life, oh, God, yeah. he would not be my friend. <laughs> Walter Sobchak? Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't probably have a friend named Walter Sobchak. That's my yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Donnie. He's the and, kind of guy that would say something on Facebook like, get this garbage off. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Get this garbage off my feed. You can take it off yourself, Sobchak. Yeah. <laughs> but he pulls a gun on a guy in the bowling alley and, uh. he, you know, he's always talking about the na, you know, the Nam and, you know, Vietnam and, and <laughs> he's got and, all the he's got all the you know camel camo the, on the you hair know. and the the yeah. aviator glasses and you kind of wonder if he ever was in Vietnam you I know, know I wasn't and, clear on that it's how great John Goodman is yes. yeah I mean he I mean he's just like you know he's just so all great. over the place with the characters he plays and they're always good always I mean good. it's quite impressive he's, he's quite good in the and there's a couple of sh- scenes where you just want to punch him in the face <laughs> like well he's like, the one that fucks everything up pretty well yeah right? yes he does I mean for good reason with his conspiracy theories yes. <laughs> But there's a scene where he, where the dude is saying, you know, calm down. And he goes, I'm calmer than you. And he goes, just calm. Because he just pulled a gun on a guy in the bowling alley. Yeah. He's just, you need to just calm down. Is it Walter? <laughs> Walter is John Goodman's character, he's like, yeah. You just need to calm down, Walter. And he goes, I'm calmer than you. And he keeps saying it. And he's like, just, just chill out and stop pulling the gun. And he goes, I'm calmer than you. <laughs> Just keep and you just want to shove him out of the car. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you pulled a gun out in a yeah. bowling alley. 
I'm um, calm. I'm the one that's calm. You're not calm. <laughs> it's not me. It's you. And then there's Steve Buscemi, who's adorable yeah. in this. Yeah, and he's he just like the flunky friend. You're all like, shut up, Donnie. That's all they ever say yeah. to this poor but character. he keeps yeah. asking up, these Donnie. questions about something that they discussed five minutes ago. <laughs> you know, he's like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> he's so cute. No, he's had these like slow motion scenes of Buscemi doing the bowling. Like, or Turturro. Oh. And John Turturro. Okay, and we great. got Turturro in the purple one like, body suit thing. <laughs> Jumpsuit. And but you I, can't do, I mean, I don't even want to do quotes from Jesus. No, we can't but. even do quotes. But you know, Turturro, when he showed up, I was like, oh, I forgot he was in this. And he's yeah. only in like two scenes, yeah. but he's stunning. Yeah, like, he, he completely is. steals the movie. And yeah. I'm like, why is he in this more? Yeah, you want to see the movie about him. That one shot of him going door to door, because he, he, you know, he's... Yes. He's like uh, John Goodman, and you you wonder if that's even true. You know, mm-hmm. John Goodman is saying, "Well, he's a pedophile, yeah. dude. Yeah. He, oh, he no, had to go door true. to door and tell everyone what he did." And <laughs> there's this shot of John Turturro going <laughs> down through this LA neighborhood, going up to these different houses, and you're like, "Oh, what?" And, and you see him in his in his present day in the purple onesie with his with his flash bowling ball and all, <laughs> and you look back and it's like, "Wow, that's his dark past." <laughs> It's so bad. But basically it involves, um, oh, another another good scene. Well, basically it, it starts off with Jeff Bridges is at home doing his thing, drinking white Russians, which was <laughs> this big you know, running gag of drinking this horrible drink. And so he, these guys bust into his apartment and go, Lebowski, give us our money. They're putting his head in the toilet. And they're like, where's they're the like money? Where's the money? on his rug. <laughs> yeah. They're like, the rug is the other running gag. Like, I just want a rug. It's like. <laughs> It's, and one of those actors, like Mark Pellegrino, who was um, Jacob in Lost, and also he plays Satan on Supernatural. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And he's so young. Yeah, <laughs> like, wow. I thought he looked familiar. <laughs> so funny. So you start seeing these familiar faces popping up all over this movie. But he realizes that he has been mistaken he's for the a wrong different guy. Lebowski. Yeah, there's right. a different Jeffrey Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah, a different one. And the two guys are like, oh, well, basically, you know, sorry, bye. Yeah. Sort of. And they look around, they go, yeah, I guess he probably doesn't have the money. You're like, yeah. you didn't notice that? <laughs> and what I thought was cool, his apartment is in those little apartments that are right down the street from where I live. Yeah. Like, they're like right really? around the corner, these little, I can't think, what they like, Charlie Chaplin? Like um, bungalow. Bungalow things? Bungalows. And that's where they, it's actually behind a grocery store. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> it's funny They're like that. the ones in Day They're of the so Locust. Cute. You know, yeah. the apartments in Day of the that's Locust. Right. Very cute. And yeah, so they, so he, go, he, of course, John Goodman, being the, the conspiracy theorist guy he is, is saying, you know, dude, you got to go, you got to go get your money. They peed on your rug and that rug <laughs> really holds the room together, yeah. you know. And so he goes to see the big Lebowski and ask, you know. He's like, basically, like, they peed on my rug. And the guy says, so do I have to compensate everyone whose rug gets peed on? Is that my job or you just want a handout? So he turns out to be this, you know, this raving lunatic who's the absolute opposite of Jeff Bridges' character. Yeah. But his, uh, he sees... He sees the guy's trophy wife on the way out. and, and, and Tara Reid, by the yeah. way. But then the, I think the drama of the story comes when... Um, when it is revealed that his wife has been kidnapped and they right. think right. maybe he had something to do with it or they want him to help them. Well, do he the wants payoff. Jeff Bridges to be the bag man. Right. Because right. he doesn't want to be involved in it. So he's got to do all that. Yeah. So here work. he's hired. Would you ever hire Jeff Bridges for anything in the, movie, the Big Lebowski? <laughs> Especially if he's going like, to bring John what? Goodman along. I know. Yeah. <laughs> he's supposed to do it alone and then John Goodman. Mm. Yeah. You know, bringing along all his, you know, conspiracy theories and theories in general about <laughs> what was going on. He's like, dude, she kidnapped herself. <laughs> we don't need to worry. Yeah. But the dude is just competent enough that you say maybe he yeah. can do it. And, and yeah. yeah, just sort of dopey enough. And, yeah. you know. Well, he seems like a good guy, like, ultimately. Yeah. He just wants to, he doesn't want a complicated life. Right. And I think he, he's not necessarily a complete, you know, idiot, but he just doesn't care. He doesn't want to be involved. Yeah. So for him, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, he doesn't really think ahead. doesn't want to think about it too deeply, but. The dude abides. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seems like he has maybe some kind of low-paying, um yeah you know, trust fund or something because his landlord is asking for the rent money and he's like, Oh, I'll have it to you. But you wonder where is he going to get it? If he doesn't (laughs) have it now, you always feel like, does he have something he can sell? Is he going to, he always feels like that's just getting by month. Right. 
day to day. Wearing like his basically wardrobe looks almost like pajamas everywhere. Yeah. You know? (laughs) And his flip flops. So what do you think is the bit? What what makes this movie such a cult? Like, why do people latch onto it? Do you think? I think it's because the dude, you know, Jeff Bridges' character is is some somebody. You looking at okay, he's going through all this this experience, but basically his outlook on life is just very chill. And I think people go, oh, it'd be nice if I was like that. (laughs) Somehow I could be like that. Just like nothing really bothers me. I'm happy to bowl and have my white. You know, it's a simple experience. Yeah. A simple life. And I think, and so they did, I mean, the cult comes from his lines. Yeah. Yeah, That's what it is. His dialogue. Every Coen Brothers film. Yeah. Yeah, But especially the repeatable lines. Like they do these complete running gags of like, you know, it really, the rug pulled the room together. Like he keeps saying this over and over again. Right. I just yeah, think. Shut up, Donnie. <laughs> yeah, shut and of course, the, the it's so well written. It's you know, it's it's yeah. it's just has that. Um, I when I first saw it, I didn't get it. I didn't when get I, it. Either. I was like, what is the big deal Especially about this movie? Especially because it came out after Fargo, right. which yeah. is so brilliant. And like when I saw Fargo and Blood Simple, two of my favorite movies. And then when the Lebowski came out, I'm like, really, you guys? It felt like they. It was. It, it felt, felt like, like a the, step down. It felt like the story. It, there's some funny lines, but the story, the actual plot, yeah. was kind of like a who cares? Like yeah. I really don't care about the mm-hmm. ransom. I don't right. care about the. You know, I didn't, didn't care, care about. Really bunny, didn't care about the bunny. girl. Yeah. I didn't care about. Yeah. So it was just sort of like I just didn't care. Yeah. yeah. I just kind of watched it. I didn't get. You know, and I haven't seen it 20 times. You right. Know, it's not a cult film for me. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed it the second time. I get it. I liked it I'm more just, the second time. I'm not. It's not something that I would gravitate to and watch all the time. And yeah, honestly, it's not my favorite Coen Brothers film no. either. Oh no, it, no. I've, by I've a many long of, shot. In uh, fact, I, I like you guys. I remember when it came out. I was like, mm, I, but it kind of grown on me over the years yeah. a little bit. It's still not my favorite Coen Brothers film. I still like things like. Raising Arizona more, you know? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I would put that. Fargo, definitely. Those two are off the bat. And Fargo, simple, yeah. Three. Uh, I'm sure there are others. I, I, think I, I think I appreciate Lebowski more because I feel like the Coen brothers now at this point have made movies I really did not like. So I feel like if you're going to have like Burn Without Reading yeah. and then Lebowski, the I would think Lebowski man. was a huge step up. Right. Right. And so when you know when you think about their filmography, they've had some absolutely stunning, incredible achievements, and right. then some really who cares movies. But then yeah. Buster Scruggs, you know that and, was you know good. when this started, it reminded me of Buster Scruggs, and when it ended too, it, ha- it had mm-hmm. that voiceover, right. it had that sort of a guy telling you a tale, guy. you know, yeah. yeah, and it had the cowboy, the tumble and tumbleweeds. And... I love that opening scene of the yeah. tumbleweed. That was great. It's a tall tale. I mean, it kind yeah. of yeah. what that is. And yeah. after Fargo, which was such a serious. Intense, you know, dark, dark, dark yeah. comedy with characters you really cared about. Yes, you cared about those characters. This was like, eh, this is different. Which yeah. I guess Coen Brothers would want to do different movies. Yeah, I mean, they do Serious Man, they do Hudsucker. It's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And uh, whether you like them or not, I guess it's a matter of taste. I think you know? the comedies can be hit or miss for me. Mostly the comedies, because right. I think, like you said, Raising Arizona is probably one of the best comedies ever. Right. Whereas I feel like the other ones like Hudsucker Proxy which was in the same vein to me right. felt kind of really forced and and not, and not funny. really funny not really yeah. funny. it's not funny but Raising Arizona is I still watch that you know thing why? it still makes me laugh and I always wonder about oh you killed my joke <laughs> never mind <laughs> never mind tell your joke anyway no I was gonna say I always I always try to imagine that one with Nicolas Cage <laughs> see it's not funny now it is funny I'm sorry oh, I ruined it Let's just do that over again. (laughs) If Holly Hunter's character had been played by Nicolas Cage. (laughs) (laughs) Identical twins who were married to each other. (laughs) I had forgotten that Frances McDormand was in that movie. And she's so funny. She's got his dip tet. You're not used to her being funny either. Mind is a little fontanelle. (laughs) That's a movie that you can quote endlessly. I was uh, on a job one time, and there was a guy that we were working together on a movie, and we would we're just quoting raising arizona and we realized this is going to go on for weeks <laughs> yeah like, but raising arizona also was funny but also had that you know just really good stuff in it like just yeah. the you know the bad guy at the end you know randall tex cobb and the, yeah. the co- it's yeah. just like a badass i like got a mad max yeah and it got weirdly intense yeah. like yeah weirdly, holy cow this is kind of like serious we're well, so yeah. good at thrillers the yeah. fact they can bring that tension and and thrilling aspect to a movie that's basically over the top comedy and yes. so much so, heart 
So you know, much heart. I, I get tears in my eyes at the end of that film. I mean, it yeah. makes me cry almost. Yeah. You know? yeah. And there's moments in there, sort of like when, um, you know, when I guess we can do a spoiler on the Big Lebowski, when Donnie, the character Donnie, who's just been abused, you know, verbally abused by John Goodman through the whole film, and you just think he's this throwaway character, he has a heart attack and dies. And it's heartbreaking yeah. because you think, oh, Donnie, he was... He, he just got stepped on by these people constantly. They never appreciated him or gave yeah. him two seconds of respect. And, mm-hmm. But in Raising Arizona, there's a twist like that, too. One of those little pull the rugs out from under you things where the, you know, Nathan Arizona and his, his wife in the film is almost like a drawing. She doesn't even hardly exist in the film. She's just sitting in a chair. She do, I don't think she has any lines of dialogue. She's just a, a, a icon of, of wife, you know. And there's a scene where um, something happens, and he and he talks about how much he loves her, and it's it's such a great Coen Brothers thing where you, to to take a character that you haven't really thought about too much and go, oh, he loves her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I have I think um, I think of Coen Brothers movies. I I I think I always like the ones about crime in yeah. some way or another more than any of the other ones. Mm-hmm. There's just I think they bring a level of interest. I think they're even more interested in the storyline. What has to do with crime? I think what it is is like with with their first film, which is still probably one of my favorites, oh, is sure. Blood Simple. Yeah. I think what they understand is the chaotic nature of crime and the fact that what one of the things I love about Blood Simple. We could do a whole episode on Blood Simple. Let's do it. <laughs> but one of the things I love about that movie is at the end, if you know Francis McDormand's character is arrested. And has to go to trial. What will that trial? I would love to yeah. see the trial because she doesn't know the guy she just killed. She's That's never right. seen him or heard of him. Yeah. So why did I? What's this guy doing in my apartment? She knows nothing about what he did for Marty or anything. She and so many people died because they didn't talk to each other. She thinks Marty killed her boyfriend, and the boyfriend thought this that she killed Marty. <laughs> And it was like the most convoluted, twisted, mixed up story. Mm-hmm. And that's the way real crime is. Yeah. When you actually do jury duty, you realize that. Right. <laughs> I know. But that's what I love about Blood Simple is that it... it not you, so simple. It's, it's not, not simple. It <laughs> absolutely is not. And that's what... Uh, I mean, you know, the big Lebowski has that too, because there's this complication with the payoff money. And did she really kidnap herself? Or did he? did the big Lebowski really want to get her back or did he think it would be better if she just died you know there's all these twists and turns and but it's done in a different way that just uh, is not quite as compelling to me right you know yeah i I enjoyed it but i enjoy okay this is a cult film i'm watching as a non-cult film fan of this movie you know (laughs) but it's just it's it's a film that is i look at it and appreciate it but i'm not Part of that group, yeah. like I'm not going to the Big Lebowski Fair in Omaha, right? Just, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when I watched it. I felt like I was seeing a new movie. I didn't remember anything. Like I remembered some of the basic. Like I remember Amy Mann being in it for her one second. She's because, not. Yeah, she's like in it yeah. as a not even doesn't have a line or anything. She's like she just tells her order. She wants blueberry pancakes in German. That's her whole <laughs> right. life. Um, but it's like I didn't remember anything. I didn't remember how it ended. I didn't. Re- so I'm watching it going. Did I even see this movie? I mean, it interesting. Was, it's weird how just but the other. Other movies like Blood Simple and yeah. Fargo, I remember everything about And you definitely movies. remember the, the endings to those movies. Raising oh. Arizona, how can you forget that ending? Yeah. I Fargo, mean, how do you forget that ending? Right, it's right. Insane. Yeah, so many of their movies, are they're just... Um, so it's weird that that's considered, you know, by many people... What Cruelty? How'd that end? Or... Lady Or Suburbicon. Right. Some of these movies were like, did they do that? Yeah, yeah. But... Well, what was it? You know, it was funny when I think about the Coen brothers, uh, Blood Simple just blew me away. I remember yeah. that just changed the world. Yeah. And and then Raising Arizona did too, but in a totally different way. And, yeah. like, and then what was the third movie after that? I think it was um, Miller's, Miller's Crossing. Crossing. That yeah. one was incredible. That was amazing. And I'm like, okay, I have new favorite filmmakers. But then Barton Barton Fink. Fink. Then they did Barton Fink Which and I was Hudsucker like, Proxy. Eh. Yeah. Didn't like Barton Fink a whole lot. Then Fargo lot. come back strong with Fargo yeah, after that. Fargo yeah. After then it was Big Lebowski, Oh Brother, Where Which I was okay. Oh Brother. 
Yeah. I the thought man. that one was kind of fun. I don't know if I even saw the man who wasn't there. I didn't see that one. That's right? a good that's one. That's Bob actually Thornton. a good one. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that. Intolerable cruelty. I think I worked on that I one a little bit. I don't even remember coming out. So. The man who wasn't there, I think I made some props for Oh, that. really? <laughs> yeah. The Lady Killers, uh, which I saw. I don't remember that. Um, t- that was Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, kind of a, you know, a... a um, and then No Country for Old Men. I was very excited because it was. Yeah. I felt like it was going back to the Combers I would love, which was like a good crime story. And I didn't super love that either. I didn't either. I was, everybody I really seems wanted, to think that's their best. Loves, I, mean, I, don't I think I, I like it more than you. I would consider their best, but I remember seeing it saying, oh, they felt like after the last couple of movies, they were back on their jam for me. Well, definitely back from what they'd been doing yeah. in Intolerable Cruelty, right. but not back on the level of Fargo or Black No, Simple. no, I wouldn't, I'd agree with you there, but I thought it was pretty good. And then their movie Burn Before Watching. Unwatchable. <laughs> I didn't see that one. I'm not going to burn it because I'm not going to watch it. No, I saw it. it was just I just saw it was terrible. I thought that was not good. I thought, I man, was... this is like absolutely like somebody making fun did. of the Coen brothers. Yeah, I feel like someone was doing a Coen brothers movie really badly. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't hmm. good. Never it saw was, a serious man. And it was just ugly, too, the Burn Before Reading or Burn After Reading. Yeah. I think just... I turned off to them after that because mm. then like I, I never well, even saw a serious grit. man. True Grit didn't Never see that. saw True Grit. I think I lost it. Lewin Davis didn't see that. Hail Caesar didn't see I mean, I... Nope. Hail Caesar, Suburbicon. So I... I, Bridge I of guess Spies. I, but then Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh. Yeah. I remember thinking, I haven't seen a Coen Bros movie in a while. This will be interesting. And I loved it. So yeah. now I kind of want to go back and watch some of these. Yeah. Yep. I think they're, uh, every movie is going to have something of interest. I mean, they are an interesting and excellent filmmakers. And yeah. I think they try to do... They try to be eclectic. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. You know, we'll do a weird comedy. But... Whether it works or not is a different thing. At least they yeah. attempt it. But yeah. some of them are just like... No, mm. Mark, no. You can <laughs> like, attempt you... it, but just don't be bad. Well, a friend of mine said, you want to go see Hail Caesar? And said, hell fucking no. What the fuck is Hail Caesar <laughs> anyway? I don't even know what it, it is. It was George Clooney, and they were doing like a... C- it was like a, putting out a production of Hail Caesar. I think it was like a TV production or a, a okay. stage play, and it was okay. sort of behind the scenes wow. stuff, you know? Not I mean, heard it was all, good. I, I heard like people those. gave it good of my, reviews. I think, I, I think actually my wife saw it and liked it. I guess it. I need to watch it yeah. then. Hmm. To There's be a, a Coen Brothers completist, that... I have a few movies to catch them up. Oh, and yeah. Crime Wave. Crime Wave? Crime Wave, yeah. What is that? That was a Sam Raimi movie from Crime 1985. Yeah. Yeah, that was right after Blood Simple, before uh, Raising Arizona. Did Coen Brothers direct it or something? Or write it? Sam Raimi directed it, but Coen Brothers wrote it. And okay. it was like they had that connection with Sam Raimi because I think Joel or Ethan Cohen was on Michigan Evil Dead. You know, um, I don't know what how, how they met, but oh, they had okay. an early connection, those filmmakers. Weird. Okay. And yeah. they had similar ideas about how to use the camera. Yeah. yeah. You know, sure. there was a lot of uh, crazy camera work in those films. Like, you know, when somebody throws something in the trash can, they would put the camera in the trash can and then you yeah. throw the trash yeah. into the camera. And those kind of tricky things that, that well, you look at now and you're like, oh, come on. Yeah, I feel yeah. like, like Coen Brothers went more intellectual and yeah. then Raimi went a little more comic book uh, garbagey. Well, the Raising Arizona stuff, like in the in the supermarket, it's all the steady cam, yes. which is, oh, this could yeah. have been Sam Raimi did yes. this one for the day. You know, like, I want to just throw all these swooping camera shots. And he's in, in uh, a few of their movies, I think. He was in Miller's Crossing, I think. Sam he, Raimi? Really? Yeah, oh, I think he okay. was. There's a lot of cross back and forth stuff yeah. with them. Wasn't um, Francis McDormand in... Yes. What was she in? What she was the was Sam in... Raimi movie that she was in? Oh boy, she was in something. And then oh, the voice screaming on the... at the radio right now. Like, ah. Remember the, the <laughs> remember the answering machine in Blood Simple that um, the guy from the bar, the bartender guy, plays his answering machine. It's Holly Hunter's voice on there. Oh. And um, then she would later be in uh, in um, Raising Arizona. Oh, I gotta figure. Remember, Frank, Francis, Francis McDormand was, was something in, in a Sam Raimi yes, film. Yes, absolutely. Was, there's some connection yeah. there. We should probably be checking, you know, Wikipedia, but we we're gonna come up with it in our heads. Francis McDormand was <laughs> social actually, media. That's what it's for. <laughs> you know what's funny? Speaking of Francis McDormand, she was actually the very first one of the very first interviews that we ever did for Cinemondo. That's right. When That's Mississippi right. Burning came we out, we should publish that. I don't know if I could find it. <laughs> we have our issues. Yeah, maybe Of course, so. we'd have to transcribe it. <laughs> yeah, to, to present-day uh, parlance. Was she in uh, Dark Man? No. Ooh. Oh, I don't know. God, I forgot. We have to Dark do our Man. research. Uh, Sorry, I'm actually looking. We should probably um, just edit all of this. <laughs> but what's another connection Stumbling with Big around. Lebowski and After Hours? I think one of the things yeah. is that Lebowski goes into a nightmare. You know, he goes mm-hmm. into this nightmare of... 
these kind of edgy people, the nihilists and the artists, the downtown artists who are so different from him. And I think it's interesting that both of those movies had that depiction of counterculture, underground people as these really sketchy, threatening... And specifically female artists, which I thought was... They were all female, like both the artists in After Hours were women, the, you know... Of course, you know, female artist in Lebowski, and she was really extreme. Yeah. But you felt like, too, like her whole, there's a little interlude with her and, you know, Lebowski, and you're like, no way. But then you kind of <laughs> go, yeah, I get it. She's all about, like, right. just, you know, the extreme and the experimental. And to her, like, being with a guy like Lebowski would be like, yeah, I could do that. Right. Yeah. Right. That and she was kind of fetishistic, remember? Yeah. The, yeah and I, and I, also the, the artist in uh, After Hours was too. Yeah. Remember right. when she's bondage-y. tied up yep. and she's tied he up, goes yeah. to save her and she's laughing. And, I wonder if that's intentional. But well, there, I think it's that impression of artists yeah. being sort of, you know, crazy, yeah. warped, twisted. But it's a male viewpoint. Yeah, you know, it is male, male filmmakers, it's male true. star, ma- male main characters. They're both going. They're both they're the fish out of water here. So the when there's a threatening, intimidating, a threatening attitude, attitude towards these female artists. What's yeah. funny Which about it, considering that artists, female artists, are still struggling to be recognized by the art world. You know, yeah. my husband would have field day talking about this. But Bring them in. they're only like ten percent of you know really? represented in museums. I mean, they're really small. They're getting more because yeah. people are starting to recognize that. Like, you need to start acknowledging female. Right. Now, it's probably just because they're too weird and threatening and, and fetishistic. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're not as good. Women just aren't as good. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting that these, these movies, even that long ago, would depict it as female artists considering, you know, of course, it was also for titillation. I mean, or the, the crazy kind of artists, because a lot of times in movies, artists are, are depicted as these sort of elitist intellectuals that are over explaining the meaning of their artwork and and in these films, they're kind of... I mean, it turns out... The, I didn't really get they were crazy. But they're unusual. They're, they're Quirky. You, you don't understand them. Yeah. I mean, you don't know these people. They're like the guy... The, the point of the character in relationship to the main character right. is that they are wildly different from right. my world. And, and, you know, Griffin it's like Dunn. a study in contrasts. Yeah. yeah. Like here we have these very bland... You know, both of them start these kind of bland men, underachieving men... And then they're faced with these really strong, you know, creative women who are completely at odds with how they even probably view women in general. So yeah, that's like, exactly. What? I think that's exactly right. It's kind of strange. Yeah. they would put both that in both movies. But when you think about it in terms of the writing of it, and you, when you're coming up with your story, when the story was being born, and your idea is, okay, I want this character to be thrown into this nightmare, weird world of downtown, sketchy downtown New York, or the the crazy sketchy underground of Los Angeles and the idea that both of these writers said let's have it let's have the first thing he encounters be a really weird artist mm-hmm. you know what is it about an artist I guess is that something that most people don't really get or understand I think that's or... true even now that people don't get artists sure I mean yeah. I think the artists are completely like I don't think they're understood I don't think people understand where it even comes from you know I think that especially when you're talking about not like YouTube star artists, but when you're talking about like actual like painters or people who actually, you know, create art art, I think people, it seems so foreign to them that that's completely a fish out of water just automatically. Yeah. Don't get it. Don't understand. Why it. would you what do is that? It? Which is, it's impossible. It's really hard to yeah. make money and, you know. And they could never do world. it. Right. And they can never it. do it because, yeah. like, I can't do. It. I can't sit in front and make. It's like this. me and singing. I can never do that. <laughs> oh, I've heard I you don't sing. understand. <laughs> I don't, I don't know depiction. when that would have happened. <laughs> the depiction of the art in these films is always. It seems like when you mm-hmm. want to show an artist as a as a weirdo or a scary, threatening um, denizen of the underworld uh, or underground, it, the artwork that they do is always that kind of artwork that I guess the average person would look at and say that's not something I would yeah. have. Yeah. It's weird or it's really abstract or really gross looking or ugly. Or, or they paint with blood. They paint with <laughs> blood weird. or she flies through on a harness on a They're always like drug addicts and or... splatters blood on the yeah. thing. And yeah, there always there's always some kind of drug aspect to yeah, it. Drugs, bondage, like that's artists. It's like, no, yeah. that's not artists. That's a cliche of art. <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's what suburbia thinks. Like yes. those people down there in that weird downtown brick yep. building. What are they doing down there? They're you shouldn't that. live there. You should live in this uh, nice tract housing out in the middle They're of the They're total burbs. heathens. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's just t- tapping into that. And it's, it's. And really, what we're, you know, artists are mostly like is basically like Lebowski. 
It's like mostly just these kind of, yeah, just you know, laying around. Okay. That's well, the funny thing is, <laughs> I, I spent about fifteen years living artist. in a, in a an loft artist. downtown with <laughs> artists, a lot, a lot of artists. Did they like just lay around artists. a lot? No, there was a lot of weirdos there. There was a lot of really <laughs> deeply strange, weird people, but they were at least relatable. I mean, to me, anyway. Were they wearing leather and bondage a lot? And here's the thing, though, <laughs> that they were they were a lot of times really strange, but the artwork they did was really cool. I mean, it, you don't survive very long in the art world if you're not doing good stuff. Right. But even when you're doing good stuff, it's hard to get in the art world. Yeah, but in the but in the film world, you know these (laughs) successful artists. Apparently, the idea in like After Hours that she is famous because of her bagel and cream cheese sculpture, which was horrible. And you show when they show it, it's just a a (laughs) plaster. It's something that was made in first grade art. Yeah, you know, it even had the seam like it was put in a mold, and you see the seam around it. Or is that the cream cheese hanging out of it? Cheese does not look like that. But yeah, it's always it's always this thing that you you feel like the filmmakers are trying to appeal to people who are, are trying to show the average viewer, I guess, yeah, what they might think artists are. It's like, yeah, here's how weird they I are. I think people are still a little confounded by artists, even in this day and age. I don't think people yeah. quite get it. But it's kind of a stereotype. It I is. Guess. It is a stereotype. Because we know artists. You're married to one, and yep. he's yeah. not a weirdo. No well, bondage. No. Well, maybe there's <laughs> uh, maybe a little. It's but, also because people can't do that. It's, yes, you can't do. I can't do that. It's not. For or me. they see it and they go, "I could have done that." That's yeah, yeah, the yeah. thing. Yeah, that's that. the thing. So many people that's say so it's bad. like my three year old could do that. <laughs> I heard that in Paris. I heard and oh, you, yeah. the only other American accent gallery. I heard in the building. Oh God, <laughs> like, oh, my five year old could do that. Uh, yeah, let's see it. Yeah, you know, go okay. ahead. But he didn't do it in 1920, he did he? Yeah. yeah. See, the thing is, did they do it? No, right. Yeah. They yeah. Did that. <laughs> Huh. Oh, but anyway, well. cool movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're they're definitely worth watching. Both. Well, I know of them that I, I. If you haven't seen them. So my my ultimate impression was I really liked After Hours, even on this umpteenth viewing. I've seen it a few times. I loved it when I saw it. I loved it since I've seen it, and I loved it this time. Had yeah. you even seen it in a long time? Had it not been a, in a very long time? Me yeah, too. But me I too. still loved it. Lebowski didn't super love it when I saw it. Thought it was better than I remember, but you know. Yeah, I, so I'm, I'm racing I, Arizona is where I'd go for comedy and comedy. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, Kathy, 100%. I agree 100% yeah. with that. Bert, yeah. what do you think? I feel exactly the same way. I, I had a really fun time watching After Hours because mm-hmm. it it kind of put me back into that vibe of the 80s. And, and I really like that, um, the old... I love movies about New York from that era, you know, where you get to see the streets. And in that movie, you really get to see the streets and the bars and the night spots and the mm-hmm. clubs. Even though it... It has that thing, like we talk about sometimes, where a writer who doesn't, who seems to not really get a certain scene, is trying to depict a scene in a film. I know Martin Scorsese is so good with his gangster stuff, yeah. you know, his his. Uh, but this was sort of like the punk rock underground nightclub scene of the '80s, mm-hmm. and the punk people, and the you know Terry Gar's character is sort of like you know, 50s girl. Mm-hmm. She's kind of like got the beehive and loves 50s music or 60s. The monkeys. The monkeys. And then she puts on Chelsea Morning or something to <laughs> change the mood. But I think Martin, I mean, he's, I know he was trying to do a comedy, a broad mm-hmm. kind of thing, but I think maybe Martin Scorsese doesn't re- didn't really have much knowledge about what a, a, a punk rock club really was like. I mean... Technically, I don't either. I've only been to a couple, you know, 688 in Atlanta at the right. time, but that's about it. And they're not there. That looks yeah, like, you know, a Thunderdome. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this place looked like. There are probably some hardcore punk ones that did that shit. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And that was, I th- uh, to me, when I saw it originally, I thought, well, this is over the top yeah. for a reason. It's yeah. like just ridiculous, you know. It was like you were saying, though, I think it's maybe never happened. Maybe it just is his imagination. <laughs> or in a, in a weird way, you kind of imagined, did this guy, um, is this a story that he made up about what happened to him? You know, and that would be Griffin Dunn's idea of what the artists right. and the punk rockers right. are like in yeah. that part of town. You right. know, so but good. Stuff. I enjoyed it for that. Yes. yes. Yeah. Definitely. And the Big Lebowski. I think I felt the same way about it that I felt when I first saw it. It was. It had funny stuff in it, and you just I like Jeff Bridges. It. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I like anything Jeff Bridges does. Really. I mean, yeah. I watch him in just about anything, yeah. and I feel like this had to be written for him. Yeah. Nobody else right. could play that so perfectly. Not Nicolas Cage? 
Maybe. It would have been a whole different move, whole different energy. <laughs> I don't know if he could even be that li- like lazy. <laughs> Jeff Bridges just seems so relaxed all the time. Yeah, it just yeah. seems like so perfect He's for him. Like and you wonder why is he friends with John Goodman? Why is such a laid back, chill kind of weed smoking guy such a friend with this sort of militant, conservative, you know, bunker conspiracy theorist who probably loves Infowars? You know? Well, it seemed like they grew like they grew up together or something. Like, yeah. It seemed there's a lot of history and they, they just kind of went their ways and they're really different, but they still love each other no matter how quirky they were because, you know, they've known each other. Because he talked about his different marriages. and I got uh, the sense that maybe he was in the military, but maybe not. The, uh, the Dabowski, yeah, Dude. maybe, the, yeah, maybe. He might have, but he just sort of went a different way. Yeah, and know? he's like, okay, I'm done with that. Yeah, yeah. maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who has any theories about Big Lebowski, yeah. feel free to I'm send sure. them on. <laughs> yeah. We'll publish any of them. Yeah. I'm sure there's theories. <laughs> yeah, send it in. But Gosh. yeah, they're fun movies. They're both just a about... revisit. I mean, they're both worth seeing for sure. Yeah, and they're both kind of similar in a weird way. But there's other movies that are. Kind of, I mean, it's interesting. You could you could do a whole. You could write a whole book about movies where the characters go into hell. You know, it's that descent into hell story, the inferno. You know, like Dante kind of inferno, where the where a, a character goes into this nightmare world yeah. and somehow either you know has to get back out of it. You know, yeah. somehow. Gosh, well, that Great. was fun. Really fun. It was fun just to see those movies again for this. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. If you haven't seen them in a while. That's what I like doing is sometimes revisiting old movies you knew were good but can't quite remember them. That's really fun. Yeah, and it's like you think because, you know, you see it like three or four times. You go, I'll never have to see After Hours again. But then you see it again and go, oh, yeah, that's good. Fantastic. It's a good, it's it's like a a good old friend coming back. So good. It's got that Scorsese energy. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you can watch any of his movies. Yeah. Yeah. They're all good. Yeah. Well, so should we hang it up? <laughs> yeah, uh, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that later. Not all Scorsese films are good. Oh, which ones do you not like? Last Temptation of Christ. Total mess. Oh. Well, all the I've never, I've never seen it. Terrible. I've never seen it, Ugh. to be honest with you. Speaking I, of Cinemondo, we hey, actually saw it in the early days of Cinemondo, and there's a picture of me at mm-hmm. the protest in Atlanta we when the movie came out. We need to publish these things. <laughs> there's all some right. archaic picture stuff. Picture of me there. as a kid. <laughs> With a little baby in line. Well, catch right. us on social media, please. Yep. yep. Do that. Check Twitter. out the website. You can see all 955 episodes. episodes. Cinemondopodcast.com. And then we're on Instagram, Cinemondopodcast. Twitter, Cinemondopod. Patreon. Facebook. Patreon. Yes, everyone. Be a, be a member. You can see secret videos that we're posting. Yeah. yeah. Nobody can videos, see them except secret, you. Crazy private, weird stuff. Private videos. <laughs> <laughs> There may or may not be nudity. You'll have to see. <laughs> There's a naked dog walking through every so often. <laughs> Brief nudity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Darwin, put on cool. some pants. <laughs> uh, well, thanks very much for listening, right. as always. That was fun. Thanks. Okay, we're walking out the door. Bye. Cinemondo, signing off. Bye.